Hello, and welcome to Everybody's National Parks. This is your host, Danielle, and this is episode number 5.5, the fifth and last episode in our series on Virgin Islands National Park in St. John. Family trip to Virgin Islands National Park in early 2017. Hurricanes Irma and Maria hit in September of 2017. Although the island of St. John has changed and is still recovering, we hope that this information will still be useful now and in the future. Please note that currently all ranger activities are suspended. Check the Virgin Islands National Parks website for the status of ranger programs. So welcome to Everybody's National Park. Today we have a special treat. We have Ranger Alana Smith with the National Park Service from Virgin Islands National Park with us. Hi, Alana. Hello. How are you doing? Very good. And, of course, I'm Brian with my uh, usual co-host, co-producer, Danielle, who was on the equipment today. But we wanted to pick your brain a little bit uh, for those who maybe have not been to Virgin Island National Parks yet, just for some insider tips from a real live ranger so it's kind of the okay, virtual sure. stop virtually uh, the virtual stopping into the visitor center as it were so uh so a couple <laughs> things um and then we'll weave in on some of our experiences but uh just a brief history of of the park right so this uh, obviously virgin islands is not in the, the the lower contiguous 48 states it's it's its own island in in many regards how did it how did it come into being well the park was established in uh, 1956 and there were three men that really had the vision for this national park uh, Lawrence Rockefeller was one of those people and he had been coming down here and he saw how pristine this island was and he thought he he wanted this to be preserved for future generations to enjoy it and, of course, the Rockefeller family has made numerous other contributions to many national parks. Uh, another man who helped to get this park going was Julius Brown. He was a local senator who was concerned with improving the lives of the local people. Um, at that time, there was very little development on the island, very little opportunity, and he wanted there to be more opportunities for locals and something that would allow locals to stay on St. John instead of seeking opportunity elsewhere. And the third man was Frank Stick, and he was a conservationist. And so the three of those men together had this vision, and they wanted to preserve St. John's beauty to make sure that all future generations would be able to enjoy it. So, so that's interesting because uh, many park acolytes, they know Lawrence Rockefeller and his father from uh, the Tetons, right? So uh, mm-hmm. Virgin Islands National Park, I don't think many people are aware of of his and his family's influence on the island. But I also think mm-hmm. it's, I, and I want to kind of get into this a little bit. So when you had local stakeholders uh, really raise their hand and say, you know what, we need a national park here, that's a little bit different than what sometimes mm-hmm. we see, at least in the modern development of the parks, where sometimes it's a bit of a process to get local stakeholders uh, on board. So uh, mm-hmm. it was interesting you had a, a local uh, politicians say that, hey, th- this is good for this is good for the economy, good to keep our our own our own um, locals here on the island and gainfully employed. Yes, absolutely. And a lot of people don't really realize how instrumental he was with uh, getting the park established. A lot of people, of course, know the Rockefeller name, so that's the name that's kind of circulated. But the park probably would not be here without all these efforts that Julius Brow uh, made. And we just celebrated our 60th anniversary in December of 2016. And uh, we have a monument that's outside our visitor center now that's erected that has 
the three faces of those three men. And it, it's really important to remember all of their contributions. So, absolutely. Yeah, we saw that. And actually, what, to note that, it's uh, the three men, of course, the Rockefeller name stands out, but uh, they're on three sides of the monument uh, as equals, right? So there's, there's no one has any supremacy over the other. They, they are certainly shown as three equals who were responsible for setting up the park, which I thought was pretty cool. Yes, exactly, for sure. So, and we, I want to get to some of the programs you guys have going on, but just in speaking, what, what are the uh, common theme when we visit uh, a lot of the parks is we, we also don't, we want to go in, obviously, as tourists, and we want to have a good time and enjoy the park, but Daniel and I also want to be cognizant of the community as well. Uh, for my, mm-hmm. myriad reasons, one, we, we actually come from vacation land, uh, not a national park, but so so we understand being locals when folks from away come to to where we live, and you know there's it's great for the economy. There's also tension. So how is it today in 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 you know 2017? How how is your relationship with the community? Again, it's a it's an island. There's there's nowhere to run, right? So there's how does it how does it stand up now? Uh, so our, the park is always striving for involvement with the local community and a good relationship with the local community. Uh, the park is about two-thirds of the island, and so people don't always agree with how the resources are being protected. There are rules and regulations that the park has that in some cases are at odds with how people have traditionally used the land here. So things like letting cattle graze the land freely or certain fishing practices, uh, Things like that are have kind of, in some cases, created some tension. But for the most part, these rules, people realize that they're in place in order to benefit everyone in the long run. Uh, we're trying to promote sustainable use of the land, sustainable fishing practices. Uh, so things like we put a cap on how many lobsters you can pick up in a day. Right. And, uh, and so for the most part, the local community does realize that and appreciates uh, the efforts of the park, but it has, you know, not always been a smooth relationship, a smooth process. Um, but the park is always working on being involved with the community. We have various programs that are geared towards the community. We have, of course, our tourism programs, but um, we also have a free learn to swim program that we hold over the summer for local youth. Uh, we have different employment programs for local high school students. Yeah. And uh, and then we have several festivals throughout the year where we get community members to come and share cultural practices. And so we're always we're we're very much in line with the community and always working with the community because we are such a large part of this island. Um, we just work pretty closely together. Right. And I think especially with with uh, if I can lead the witness here with with your park, um, there's no way you're isolated. You know, your visitor center is right there in Cruise Bay. The, the park begins there. Mm-hmm. The towns kind of weave in and out of the park. So there's no there's no way that the not that the National Park Service wants to isolate itself from the community, but you also have mm-hmm. the advantage of look, it's a small island, and and every everyone's mm-hmm. a neighbor, right? So I think it, exactly. it probably lends to more cooperation. I would mm-hmm. imagine. Yes, for sure, I would say so. <laughs> so, Alana, you mentioned some of the programs for the for the local community. I, I probably want to key off that and talk about some of the general ranger-led programs that you have, um, obviously not just for the community, but for visitors uh, coming mm-hmm. in. What, what are some of your uh, 
What do you think are some of your marquee ranger-led programs you would recommend visitors take advantage of? Yeah, so our most popular programs are, of course, our guided hikes. So we have a a guided ranger-led hike down the Reef Bay Trail, and that's our most popular trail. We take that one to go see the petroglyphs, which are the ancient rock carvings done by some of the earliest people on St. John. And so you hike down the trail, and then you're picked up at the bottom in a boat, and then you're brought back to the visitor center by boat. So, uh, and that one during busy season, during the winter months, that one tends to book up pretty in, in advance. So it's something that you're going to want to be thinking about and uh, make sure you make reservations in advance for that. So yeah. we have the Reef Bay hike, and then we also have the guided Left Bronx hike that we run uh, November through April. And uh, that one also is the same where you're hiking down and you're picked up in a boat at the bottom and taken back to the visitor center. So those are always a a fun option. You're getting a lot of information along the way about the history of St. John, the plants and the animals, and seeing some pretty neat ruins from the plantation era. Those are probably our top ones. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's some uh, just there's some uh, there is some topography for for that for the for the island. So I think the key thing is uh well I think probably why those hikes are so attractive is you're hiking down from yeah. the top right <laughs> so so you're not really you so and, and then you take the boat back which is very pleasant so you, you get to skip out mm-hmm. on the uh, although obviously it's available mm-hmm. if one wants to do that on their own it's available that you can mm-hmm. hike up the reef trail and and I did the cinnamon bay trail where I I uh, went up because I wanted to get the heart rate going and uh but there uh-huh. is some there okay. is some topography there right this is not a flat island by any means Yes, this is very hilly um, for pretty much most of our hiking trails. You're going to be going uphill and downhill. And uh, so, yeah, around Reef Bay Trail, you're starting off at about 900 feet elevation or so and just heading down to sea level. And that that is a big draw for our guided hikes. We always have people come into the visitor center and say, what's that? program or activity where you get picked up in the bottom with boat <laughs> and so it's, it's definitely are, are a, a big draw so um but you know it's always doable going back up too as long as you bring plenty of water so so and how would you recommend uh so some of your programs what do you think would be kid appropriate again kids we'll start with smaller kids and then you know you can you can kind of ramp it up to to, to tweens and into teens but uh you know, mm-hmm. would, do you think the Reef Bay hike, so we have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old, do you think the Reef Bay hike doable for little kids, or do you think that it could be a little bit strenuous? I would say it's, it's definitely doable, but it for sure depends on what kind of kid you have. So I've taken a group of three- and four-year-olds down Reef Bay Trail, and they did great. Um, and this is a guided one where we're picked up at the bottom. Yeah. So if it's the guided hike, I would say you definitely can if you have some adventurous kids that are, are gung-ho about hiking um it could be a little strenuous for for some kids though um but it would it would just kind of depend um also if you have a a younger younger kid i've seen uh, many parents come with the packs on their back and the kids just kind of hangs out on their back and that works out just great as well um so yeah they can definitely do that it might be a bit much for some of them and for those uh i would recommend maybe some of our other programs that are definitely geared towards kids uh, we have a Skywatch evening program that's on Wednesdays, and there the kids get to look in a telescope and see the stars, see the planets. So that's always pretty exciting. Uh, and we also have a bird walk that's on Fridays, yeah. and the bird walk is on one of our easier trails, Francis Bay, and it's a great way to see some of the wildlife. And uh, it's a pretty easy trail, and it is a guided walk, so you're with a ranger. Um, pointing out some of our, our different uh, migratory birds that we have. 
So I think I'd say those two are, are definitely geared towards kids. We did we did the bird walk and with our kids and. Mm-hmm. They loved it, not just you know as amateur bird watchers. They they loved that. They mm-hmm. had their little binoculars, their plastic binoculars that we got them. But yeah. they liked mm-hmm. it as also interacting with the ranger yeah. and as well just the walk, the the great walk to to and to see the water in the early morning. I think they really just mm-hmm. as kids, irrespective of the yeah. birds, they enjoyed that part as well. But add the birds in and hanging mm-hmm. out with the ranger, uh, we really enjoyed yeah. that. That was a lot of fun. Good. Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> So, uh, you know, we were there uh, in basically, I would imagine, peak season in February. Um, mm-hmm. What are your recommendations for visiting at different times of the year? So if you're there in the summertime, I mean, you know, what, what's the what's the vibe? Quieter but buggier or how, how does that how does it work? So I would say my recommended time to visit would be probably about May, June or April to June. Uh, because our busy season, as I mentioned, the peak time is December to about March or April. And uh, if you come a little bit at, towards like the end of spring, beginning of summer, the weather is going to be mild. It's going to still be hot, of course. Um, the crowds are going to be a lot fewer than what you will notice during busy season. Yeah. But all of the you know activities, all the uh, different businesses are still open. If you come towards the later part of the summer, uh, you know, August, September through October, a lot of businesses close. Um, you can find, you know, lower rates, of course, for accommodations. So there are some benefits to that. Uh, the island will be a lot quieter. You, you know, might be the only person on a beach. So that's, that's pretty exciting. Um, but, yeah, I would definitely say kind of the end of spring, beginning of summer. And also during summer, we have Carnival, which starts at the end of June and runs through July 4th. Oh, wow. And there's a parade. It's a great cultural experience. It lasts for usually about two weeks or so. And, uh, and Emancipation Day is on July 3rd, so there's always celebrations around that as well. Uh, so I would definitely recommend that's a, a great time to come to St. John, too. It'll be, of course, a little bit busier. Um, but, yeah, so the weather should just be fine. And um, we don't really have a time of of the year where we say this time of year is going to be a lot buggier than that time of the year. It all depends on the rainfall, which does vary a good amount. Um, but generally the, you know, summertime is not extra buggy. I would say, um, you know, the late, late spring, early summer kind of time. So that's interesting. Even though you don't get the traditional four seasons, the advice is mm-hmm. kind of consistent with what we see at other parks, which is, uh, shoulder season's always kind of the nice gap, the nice mm-hmm. inefficiency where weather's still good, crowds are low. So that's interesting. That kind of the late spring into into even uh, touching into early summer is uh, mm-hmm. is your favorite time to be there. Yeah, for sure. Also, I should mention um, hurricane season comes. It's supposed to be June to October, but generally we only see any kind of storm activity around August, September, October. That would be another reason to not come during that time. It's also good to know for those looking for a bargain, I guess, if uh, you want to yeah. roll the dice. Again, it's going to be hot and muggy, I would mm-hmm. imagine, but uh, it's still beautiful, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure, yeah. And, and yep, and no crowds, so. <laughs> no crowds. Uh, so mm-hmm. our kids, the question we had and where we met you, our kids really like the museum at the visitor center. Do, do you want to describe some of the things that you have going on there? and why it may be attractive sure. to not just kids, but uh, to any visitor. Uh-huh. So I always say the visitor center uh, for our park is a great 
first stop on St. John and, you know, your first day or so to come on by because, of course, you can pick up a map and activity schedule. So we do have some displays that talk about the history of St. John. You can see the different people that have lived on this island over the past few thousand years. And uh, you just get a really nice overview on the plantation era. We have uh, a few examples of some local crafts there, like a fish trap and a, a hand basket. And it just is a great introduction to the island and also to the wildlife to see, uh, both in the water and on the land. We have a little section that talks about the coral reefs, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I think that's a, an important little introduction, too. Right, and it's, uh, it's just to describe it, uh, so even a day tripper can walk off the passenger mm-hmm. ferry, and they walk right into, basically, the visitor center uh, right in Cruise mm-hmm. Bay. So you don't have to go up into the park proper, and there's your visitor center, and then right behind there is are trails where you can, again, day tripper from St. Thomas or from wherever. Uh, you don't necessarily mm-hmm. have to have a car. You can just uh, kind of unload and, and start your day right there. Yeah, exactly. It's you know it's just about a five-minute walk from that ferry dock, and we get lots of day trippers that come in, people that are staying on St. Thomas and are just here and say, what can I do in a day? And, yeah, we always do you know recommend the Lynn Point Trail that leads right from the visitor center. So there's the park is definitely accessible um, to you even just for a day, even if you don't have transportation or if you don't want to take a taxi, you know, you can get there with your own two feet and still have a wonderful time. So a nice segue into, you mentioned fish traps in the visitor center, a nice segue into my, I took, I took a snorkel on my last day at Cinnamon Bay out to the island where there was a, um, the fish trap that the indigenous people had built however mm-hmm. many thousands of years ago. And for what for whatever reason, that really, on my last day, and we'll get into some of the great snorkeling, but to see something man-made that long ago still mm-hmm. there, I, I mean, just, and you're, you know, you're snorkeling, and it, it just let my imagination uh, kind of run wild. So that, that mm-hmm. ended up being one of my uh, favorite snorkel trips I took, but snorkeling mm-hmm. that leads me I, what i'm trying to get to is snorkeling on saint john yeah. it seems to be again there's diving there's all sorts of things that one can do but it seems like snorkeling seems to be pretty accessible what are some of your favorite can, can you describe some of the snorkeling sites on saint john's and what are some of your favorites sure some of my favorites i always recommend leinster bay so uh water water lemon bay um, which is in in leinster bay is a great place to see a variety of different marine life. Uh, I usually see sea turtles out there, uh, different rays, spotted eagle rays. I see small sharks. Uh, so there's definitely a good variety of, uh, of different reef fish to see as well. And that would be one of my top ones. And let's see. Also, I think a great, uh, for this is for kind of the more adventurous, more advanced snorkelers, uh, if you happen to be able to rent a kayak, then you can go out to some of the different keys that are close by to St. John. Like um, like Henley Key mm-hmm. is near to Salt or Honeymoon Beach, Salmon Honeymoon Beach. You kayak out to Henley Key, and uh, there's some great reefs that are right around Henley Key. It's a lovely little kayak there. Um, and also Whistling Key would also be uh, a, a very interesting snorkel as well and that is just off of Maho and Francis Bay and uh, there's some pretty nice reefs out there and you can see some really big reef fish 
Uh, so that's definitely for kind of a, a stronger swimmer or the more adventurous snorkeler. I would say those are, are pretty great. And then I, I, of course, can't, you know, not recommend Trunk Bay. Trunk Bay is one of our biggest attractions mm-hmm. in the park. And at Trunk Bay, we have an underwater snorkel trail. And so these are plaques that sit underwater that are telling you about the different fish you may be seeing, the different coral. And it's pretty neat because the fish seem to hang out by the sign that describes them. So I don't know how <laughs> they know, but right. they just seem to be right there. There's a sign for a parrotfish. There's a parrotfish. Right. Uh, so it's a pretty neat experience. Uh, to definitely something that's worth going to see at Trunk Bay. And it's also one of our most beautiful beaches. So I'd say that's definitely up there. So that's, uh, Alana, that's a, that's a, a very nice spread. You, you know, we, we did the... Uh, uh, Leicester Trail, Water Lemon uh, K uh, hike, and we snorkeled out there and saw a spotted eagle ray mm-hmm. that was a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be. So that was yeah. it was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. And uh, the the kayak thing is a that never occurred to at least me, and I don't think it occurred to mm-hmm. Danielle. That sounds great next time. Mm-hmm. So, but that's the way it sounds. Mm-hmm. You can get away, really get away from it all. Even though these beaches generally, so so Water Lemon K Leicester Trail. Not very crowded. And then you, you Trunk mm-hmm. Bay, which we did find there was a rhythm of the crowds, right? So Trunk Bay is certainly, fair to say, certainly your most popular beach. And uh, it had the uh, underwater trail, which we did, which I thought was pretty cool, uh, but also pretty crowded. And we, 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 I guess the question, how do you, again, how do the parks manage the crowds? Because you have, that's the one beach you allow cruise ships to have their passengers on smaller boats but to have passengers come in so how does the park think about managing crowds and and also preserving a lot of these reefs right so we don't Mm -hmm. i guess love the park to death right yes exactly yes we do use that term a lot here in the park so most of our cruise ship tours are all concentrated at trunk bay and this helps to kind of minimize the impact in other areas of the park so all the cruise ship excursion tours go to Trunk Bay. And for that reason, the beach is going to be a lot busier, especially during uh, peak season for us. And um, and there is impact that Trunk Bay sees because of that heavy usage. Uh, there is, you know, higher concentrations of sunscreen that's found uh, affecting the reef at Trunk Bay. Uh, but we just try to balance the enjoyment of people using the resource along with preserving that resource, which is a challenge to pretty much any of the national parks. And it's always something that you have to think about. Um, but, you know, Trunk Bay is, is definitely going to be always our busiest beach. So the kind of the idea is, look, at you, you know, you're not going to open up every, every beach. You're going to concentrate on one beach, manage it as best you can. But how do you mm-hmm. – uh, so that's, this is a good question because we're, we're all fair-skinned, right? So we have to be thoughtful about sunscreen as a family. What, uh, mm-hmm. what is the right sunscreen that one should bring down? Uh, or, in other words, what, what, should, what should a visitor leave at home to make sure that they're not uh, – you know, that mm-hmm. would have never occurred to me uh, leaving. Uh, we just packed mm-hmm. our usual sunscreen, wanted to do the right thing by, by getting sunburned. What, mm-hmm. what do you, what's the right sunscreen that one should have? So the sunscreen that the park likes to promote using is uh, it's usually labeled reef safe and it has the ingredient zinc oxide or something similar to it. Mm -hmm. The ones that we want to avoid are, of course, the ones that are easy to find in all the stores. A lot of those big name brands that have a chemical called oxybenzone in them. And that has been proven to lead to the coral bleaching. And it's it's not good for, for us either to be on our skin. 
Um, right. But we do like to, you know, to let people know about the reef shape options, which they can be sometimes harder to find. But in the States, it'll be a lot easier to find it than on St. John. There are some areas here you can find the reef shape sunscreen. But that's something that, you you know, you probably want to look for ahead of time and be thinking about. And, uh, and so that's always a, a really great thing, a great way to help the reef out. Uh, but if you're not able to find the reef safe sunscreen, then, you know, we like to also promote the use of rash guards, which mm-hmm. don't work out for everybody, but rash guards can be quite effective at keeping the sun off of you, uh, right. about protecting you from the sun's rays. Um, and even if, if you just need to use that sunscreen that has the oxybenzone, we say if you put it on at least 30 minutes before you get in the water, that way it has time to kind of soak into your skin and doesn't just wash right off of you onto the reef as soon as you jump in. Because I think a lot of people sometimes are just in the habit of putting on the sunscreen and then jumping in the water. So if you just give it a little bit of time, then then that will even help the reef a little bit more. Yeah, probably a good rule of thumb is if you jump in the water and you see that that thin film kind of swirling around, Mm -hmm. you you probably didn't let it set in long enough, right? Yeah, yeah, yep, there you go. Speaking of of challenges to the national parks, how... um, how are you dealing with the the constraints, the budget constraints on the parks? You know, we noticed that uh, that you all were running around wearing a few hats, so to speak. So, h- mm-hmm. how are you how are you dealing with with that new reality? So, um, I mean, it is unfortunate. It's pretty. It's been difficult on us. Uh, a lot of us are working extra, working on our days off, um, whatever we can do to help get the job done. Uh, if you look at my division interpretation. About five years or so ago, there were eight people, and uh, right now we're running with three, uh, trying to do all these programs and visiting schools and leading the different guided hikes. And uh, so we're all just trying to make do, you know, with less. Um, but that's kind of that's kind of what we're always trying to do. But now it's just a it's a even more so. So um, so we look forward to being able to bring another couple people onto our team. I know we're definitely in need of some lifeguards and that's a concern for us because now we have a couple days where there are no lifeguards on the beach because we're not able to hire a lifeguard right now and uh, so there's definitely been challenges for us to work out at the park with uh, concerning that hiring freeze well look well said and and so you can't say this but i can which is uh, as a (laughs) private citizen which is uh, you know everyone should support their (laughs) should support their national parks and talk to their their uh, local Congress people and and senators about supporting their their uh, national parks because they're they're all of our parks, right? So it's a shame if uh, mm-hmm. you're using something that really has been a uh, has been our right to access for the last hundred years, and it's uh, someone mm-hmm. like Alana is uh, is doing three jobs and then stretched way too thin. But uh, again, that's my editorial mm-hmm. comment. I know you you can't mm-hmm. say that, but yeah. I can. No, I know. <laughs> but thank you. No, I appreciate it. It's, it's nice to hear. So thank you. <laughs> so just last question. Uh, we, we've hit some of these tips. Uh, you know, you've talked about giving us some great uh, trails, some some great snorkeling off the beaten track, some ranger-led programs, the great tip mm-hmm. on sunscreen. Any other tips for first-time visitors that they should keep in mind uh, when they're visiting Virgin Islands National Park? First-time tips. Let's see. I would say bring your hiking shoes. Uh, a lot of people think, oh, you know, they're coming to a tropical island and you just need your bathing suit and some flip-flops. Right. But uh, I think you'll be very happy to bring your hiking shoes. I hear a lot of people on my guided hikes say, oh, I wish I had brought my hiking shoes. Um, and so those are always nice to have, or at least uh, some good sturdy sandals like um, that would, you know, allow you to hike in them with some, to have some support. So some kind of supportive shoes. 
if you're at all interested in birding, uh, I would say bring a pair of binoculars if you have a small pair that will fit in your luggage. Because uh, a lot of people kind of get here also and are thinking, oh, I wish I had my binoculars with me. Um, underwater camera, uh, the reef safe sunscreen that we talked about. Uh, if you have a small child and you want to do hiking with them, maybe consider uh, one of those uh, baby carriers. Right. Because I have seen people that did not have them and they just had to carry uh, their child and their arms down the guided hike. And, and I'm sure their arms got a little tired. But uh, <laughs> some people do seem to be happy with the baby carriers when right. they have brought them. Uh, yeah, I think those would those would be just about it for the, the tips. Um, besides, you know, coming to the visitor center and then you can kind of get your, your whole overview. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's about, about it. Well, well, thanks. I think the only other only other comment I have is Danielle and I had talked about this uh, in our previous podcast, where you know it's it's kind of you know Virgin Island National Park come for the come for the suntan, come for the sea turtles, stay for the history, right? What, which we didn't anticipate, but we really got a lot out of the history of the park. And being park fans, we should have realized this going in. But uh, look, the the park, and you know this better than anybody, the park history. Um, you know, some of it's not so rosy, right? There's colonialism, mm-hmm. there was slavery, and I thought yep. you all did a great job of interpreting that with some of the old sugar mills and a lot of the, the hikes around that and the interpretive signs, including your visitor center. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think most people, when they think of probably you see this, most people, when they think about their tropical vacation, you know, they're thinking about their drink in a with a with a fuzzy drink with their umbrella in it, and they're not necessarily thinking about some heavy history, but uh, we found that mm-hmm. valuable as well, especially with the kids. I mean, we had plenty of fun, but we found it valuable as well to to check out Annenberg and, and uh, go on some of those hikes as well and to talk through. Yeah. You know, I guess the park didn't pop up out of nowhere, right? The island didn't pop out of nowhere. There's a history there, and uh, I thought I thought just to throw on top of the pile of first-time tips, that's something I'd say is you know take some time out to to – be thoughtful about the history as well. If you're a first time visitor, even if you're there for a day, your, your museum, uh, speaks to that pretty, pretty well. So just take 10 minutes to contemplate that as well. And then thinking about what else had happened at that beach, going back to, you know, what I said about the fish traps that the local indigenous people have built, however long ago, uh, it just made a much more rich experience for us as well. And then go, you know, get a nice suntan and, go for a hike and, mm-hmm. and get a daiquiri, right? That's, there's nothing, there's nothing yeah. wrong with that whatsoever. It is vacation. <laughs> so for an updated activity schedule, because they go, you know, change month to month, check out www.nps.gov, G-O-V, slash V-I-I-S. Got it. Sounds good. Well, listen, Ranger Alana Smith, thank you very much uh, for your time. Uh, we really appreciate it. We had a great time. I can't wait to get back. I'm looking at Danielle. I, I want to do those kayak trips. Uh, I didn't know that. So that's uh, <laughs> next time. Next time. There's yeah, always plenty to do thank the you park. so much for having me. And we look forward to having you guys come on back and try out some, some different areas of the park for sure. Will do. Thanks, Alana. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to Everybody's National Parks. As a reminder, Virgin Islands National Park is open to visitors. Check the park's Facebook page for the latest status. Also, Friends of Virgin Islands National Park is looking for volunteers to help bring the trails back to the beautiful condition they were before the hurricanes. As always, show notes and links to resources for this episode may be found on our website, everybody'snationalparks.com. 
You may find the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. If you like the show, write a review and please tell your friends. You may also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or send us your comments at everybody'snationalparks.com forward slash contact. We love to hear from you from the parks you are visiting, so please tag us at hashtag everybody's national parks. Most of all, enjoy exploring the national parks with your family. Bye for now.